chapter 12. And we're going to read chapters, well, we're going to be 12 and 11, uh, some things in 11 we'll read from, so we'll be in that area. If you want to get there in your Bibles to read with me. And we're going to be reading the first three verses of chapter 12. So, before we just to give some background on why, why would the why would the author here in chapter 12, when he's we're going to read, why does he give these instructions? Why is he giving this word encouragement to, to the people here? Well, earlier in chapter 10, um, in the last part of chapter 10, he actually talks about he he gives a, he mentions some of their struggles they're dealing with, some of the, the uh, suffering they're having to, to to go through, and he actually calls it hard struggles. Um, it, it talks about the, the, they've suffered reproach and affliction uh, at this point. So it's a persecution. And they, they've even had their property taken from them because they're believers. So this is what they've been suffering and dealing with. And they're weary. And he, he says, you, he actually mentions, he says, don't throw away your confidence. You have need of endurance. And so that's what he tells them in, in, in chapter 10. And in chapter 11, we, we, we know Hebrews, uh, chapter 11 is is the, uh, the, the chapter talks about all the, the Old Testament saints, the, the heroes of the faith that, that were part of the Old Testament, and we're going to look at some of those. And then chapter 12 is what we're going to read right now, verse 1 through 3. So here's this background with them. They're, they suffered, uh, had some suffering, some struggles, even to the point of losing their property, suffering affliction. And he now uh, says here in chapter 12, verse 1, says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. God, as I spend time in your word, sharing from your word, I pray, God, your spirit would be on me. Your spirit would be on us. God, that you would speak to us. Lord, it would not be just ink on a page, but God, it would be life. Life that your spirit gives to us. Gives us a living hope, God. And I pray that you would do that for us this morning. We're not just looking for information, but God, we want to be tra changed and transformed to be more like you. We're trusting God you can do that. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So here the author uses the imagery of, uh, of an athletic race, this long distance race, to make a point to them. Right? He's, he's talking about running the race with endurance. And see, they would have been familiar with the races that were run. And with the long distance races and the need for endurance and persistence and discipline and determination to, to make it through the race, not only to finish it, but to finish the race well. So they would have understood that, that imagery. And he uses this to call them, uh, to encourage them. And so he, he's calling them, he says, this life of faith, this, the race is just a, a metaphor for this life of faith, this walk of following Jesus, being one of his disciples. And there, that early church there is hearing these words and they're understanding this is going to require endurance. It's going to require perseverance, consistence, persistence, fortitude, each other. Look what he says, is, he says, since we, he doesn't say since you, since we, he identifies himself. We're in this together. We're competitors in a race, but we're not competitors with each other. We're, we're partners in this race. 
It's like for them, he's, he's, they're going to talk, he's going to talk about the, the heroes of faith from the Old Testament. It's like they're, they've run their race. Here, now it's doing your baton. Here's the baton. It's your turn to run together. So he calls them to, he reminds them of this race. And he wants to understand that this race is set before him, not just, not just that they're going to need endurance. He wants to encourage them to run well and to finish well. We're called to finish well, not just finish, but finish well. And he wants them to also. He wants to, and I share this like he's as the author. I'm saying we are surrounded by these witnesses. They've passed us the baton. It's time for us to run this race too. And then look to pass the baton on to others also after us. That they see in us a race run well. Just like we looked at them, right? So he calls his attention to these Old Testament saints that are listed, and we're going to look there in chapter 11, to have gone before them. They, they would have known them, they would have understood them. And we, if you've read the scriptures, you've read it, and you've probably read through chapter 11, and you've heard messages about chapter 11, and these heroes of the faith that have walked and lived and endured a life of faith, living well for Christ. And if you these Old Testament saints, they weren't perfect, were they? No. Whether you look at David, whether you look at Moses, Abraham, all of them, they weren't perfect, but they ran well. They ran dependent on our God. Amen. And so they weren't perfect, but what, what does God do? God still records a test, their testimony of faith as a witness to us. So he talks about this cloud of witnesses. And the witnesses, God's recorded for us to see and to read their story as a testimony to us, to encourage us and to urge us on that you can run this race too. They've been in with endurance. You can also. We can also. But one thing I want to point out is, it is there is a, as you read every one of those, we're not going to read all, we're going to read a couple of them. I just want to look at a few of the, the, the ones in, in chapter 11. But there's a, they all had a different course. They ran a race. Everyone has a different life. Everyone has a unique purpose. Your sound, your actually, your, your sign that came in this morning, I'm driving, says, God has a purpose for your life. It's just, you're not just a random thing. God has a unique design for your life, your personality, who you are, and He has a purpose for your life. Of course, unique, specific to you as individuals and to you as a community. Just like each one of them. So we look, they're not perfect, but they had this course. But not when you read through them. They all had different lives. They all had unique, specific purposes in God's greater story. And it helps us understand there's this bigger redemptive story going on. I'm sure, I think I've shared this before. And they all had a unique part in it. And they ran their race in alignment with God's race, His story. And we're called not just to run our race and say, we did well, that's about us. No. We're called to run this race, live this life of faith, our story, in alignment with His greater story. Okay. It's about, about us getting attention. It's about Him getting attention. <laughs> it's about His purposes, not our purposes. Yeah. There was a purpose for us to become something great. No, he's the famous one. 
And we live in alignment with his greater story so that he becomes more and more famous through us. Just like when we read these testimonies, we think, well, these guys are we're, 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 some, some amazing things. With this, it's the God they served. That's the amazing one. Not them, and it's not us. It's about him. And so we, so we want to see there's this purpose. They, they had a race they ran that was unique, and they, they understood that. The question is, do we understand our unique race? Do I understand the course God has set before me? Or am I pursuing a different course? Oh, I want to be like Dennis. No, God wants me to be like Kenny. He wants you to be you. He wants you to see, wants you to see who you are called just as you are, who you are in your personality to a specific course set before you. And he wants you to run with endurance and to run it well. Amen. Let's look at a couple of one. We're going to look at Hebrews 11, verse 8 through 10. It's uh, Abraham. It's in verse 8. It says, By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder are God. So Abraham, by faith he obeyed when he's called to go out. Here's what it means to, to, to run the race. When he calls, we obey. We go out. We respond to him to where he's sending us, what he's calling us to do. It's a life of obedience. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Has anybody ever gone out not knowing where they're going? Or how they're going to get there? And how they're going to get back? Well, here's Abraham. He has no idea. He just knows God's called him. And by faith, he responds. He responds to the Spirit of God, calling him to go out. He went to live in a land of promise. You know, God gave him a promise. And he went to live in the land of, of promise. But he says he lives in it as a, as a foreign land. This is unique. He's there. He goes, this is the land of promise, but this is a foreign land to me. To your right, letting him know. This is, he's got the promise, he's living in this land around, but it's not the fullness of what Abraham knows God's promise for him. There's something more. He was looking forward to a city whose foundation designer and builder is God. He knew his life was not just about this age. It was not just about that land. There was more to it than that. So even while he's living in a land, God promised that Abraham knew that the land was not the fullness of all God had promised. And that there was a full reality that was promised yet to come beyond this age. He understood this. And so he lived looking forward. That, that word looking forward, that word looking is it's, it's an expectancy, there's this longing. Anybody ever have a planned a vacation? They're going to, I'll just say, uh, to Spain or to, to Europe on a vacation. You're planning it. It's six months away. 
What are you doing? How many more days? There's this longing. There's, 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 a, there's an expectancy of going here. See, that's that word looking. It's not just a passing glance and, oh, yeah, okay. No, there was this hunger in him for the more. That's what he had within him. He knew there was more. And with the knowing, there was this looking, this longing for more than what he had. Because he knew God had more for him. Now, Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. It says, uh, these all died in faith. He's referencing here in this verse just previously. It says, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob. So these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who seek thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land that, from which they had gone out, they would have opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. They died in faith, not having received the things promised. Here they're in this land that God promised, but they didn't realize this is not all God promised. There's more. There's more than what we have here. We have a taste of the age to come. But it's not the fullness of what is yet to come. And they understood that. There was more. And so they did, it says they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. And it says people who speak like this, they make it clear they are seeking a homeland. The homeland was not on this earth. This, and not in this age. There's something beyond. And they looked for it. They were seeking it. They acknowledged it. You see a pattern here? They're looking. They're longing. They're seeking something beyond. They know they have a, prom a promise here to live in. But this is not all there is. There's more. See, they saw and they longed for a better country, a heavenly one. As a result, God's not ashamed to call them their God. To call, be called by them their God. Now let's go to Hebrews 11, 24 through 27. You see a pattern here, this longing. You see this, this is part of these three that I bring up. By faith, Moses, in verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of, of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith Moses, he refused to be called the son of the, the son of the, the, the Pharaoh's daughter. He refused the favor of, of the daughter of Pharaoh, and chose rather to be mistreated with God's people. Consider the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasure of Egypt. Because he was looking forward to a reward. He knew there was more. He understood that. He was not going to settle for the rewards of earth. He was looking for a greater reward that God had promised. And it says, He endured as seeing him who was invisible. He endured, he endured by seeing him who was invisible. He was looking. He was longing. Here's that word looking. It's the same longing. This expectation. This hunger for more. He was living the present life in light of future. 
rewarded. You see that in those three. Let's go back now to chapter 12, verse 1. Remember, they're, part of their context is they've suffered, they've struggled, they're, 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 they've been persecuted, they've lost their property, there, there's hardship. And here, now he's told them, he's, he says, you're so, he's already given them, chapter 11, this, this cloud of witnesses. They would have read this already, but I just read it. And they would have understood these heroes and what they looked for. And now the writer says, it's since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, seeing their testimony, not just their life, but what drove their life, what was beyond, what was the reward, he who was invisible. They were seeking beyond this age. It was changing the way they lived their life and helped them endure. And he says, now lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So lay aside every weight. Back in that, it goes back to the, the, the race metaphor. Race, if you're running in a race, they had to, they had to be light. They, is they, they, anything that was going to hinder them, anything that was going to distract, anything that was going to impede their ability to run quickly and finish and possibly win, they were going to lay aside. They were going to run as light as they could. And that's what he's using. He's saying, lay aside every weight. He's not talking about sin. He's talking about hindrances. He's talking about distractions. Now, in their day, they had certain weights or distractions or hindrances. Do we have any in our day? Can anybody think of a few? I know I can think of a few that can distract us and hinder us and impede our ability to run the race, this life of faith, with endurance and to run it well. And I'm going to just list a couple I was thinking about. And you can just ponder them. As I read, as I read them, read them off. As, here's just some modern ones: TV, social media, hobbies, careers, personal ambitions, personal comforts, man-made traditions, the treasures of this world, stuff. Who has a lot of stuff? Sorry, we have stuff. <laughs> Lots of stuff. Looking for acceptance. Protecting our own personal rights and fighting for our rights. Wanting to control things. Wanting to be our own king. Anybody ever gotten there? I've never been a good king for my own life. Jesus has always been better. Then I thought this morning, I thought of one. The lies and falsehoods that you were told, you're too old, your time has passed. These are all weights that are thrown on us by the enemy. He wants us to take these things on because he does not want us to endure. And here the writer's saying, I recognize there's things. It's like a race, they're, they're disciplined to, to, to lighten the load. We are called to do the same. If we're going to run with endurance and run well and finish well, we have to put down these weights. We all have them. The question is, will we be willing to put them down? Then he, then he goes on. He says, 
Matthew 6.21, it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Just a reminder to all of us. And he says, lay aside the sin which clings so closely. Now, it's, he's not just talking about sin. There's this, there's this proneness we have to specific sins. We all have different ones. There's triggers we all have. And that, this word is not just the word sin. It means having that proneness, this susceptibility to certain things. And he's saying, you're going to have to lay down not just the sin, but put down that. What, what do runners do when they're training to go to the Olympics? They're disciplined to putting down the things that are going to hinder them from training well, being determined, of gaining endurance. So he's saying, you have to lay that down too. If we're going to run well, and we're going to finish well, it's not just the weights, it's the proneness we have. And it's going to take some thoughtfulness, it's going to have to take some honesty on our part to say, ah, that is something I need to deal with. We'd rather not. But God wants us to be honest with ourselves and with Him. The things that trip us up. See, the things... The thing is that these weights and these sins will not just distract us from the race that God set before us, but it will distract us from looking to the true hero. That's what the writer is getting to. Consider this plot of witnesses. Okay, now lay down every weight, every sin. Now run the race with endurance. How? Looking to someone else. Yeah, these are all heroes you have. But look to Jesus. The song is about you're singing. There's a name. There's a word. His name is Jesus. The living word. That's who he says to look to. With all these things, they distract us from seeing him. The focus becomes those things. So the author, first of all, he tell, turns to the uh, excuse me. And he first uses these Old Testament, you know, example of faith to stir a response of faith in them. But he calls us to turn and run this race looking to, to and considering Jesus. I'm going to read chapter 12, verse 2 and 3 again. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This word looking here is not just a passing glance. It's like, okay, wait. No. It means a disciplined look. It means an undivided attention. It means having no eyes for anything else or anyone else but Jesus. That's, just, that's what this word looking means. It's different than the word looking in, in chapter 11 where they were looking forward or long. This looking is undivided attention. Looking, focused on Him with eyes for nothing else or anyone else. He says, looking to Jesus. Jesus is the one who authored. He's the one who authored and brought to completion the life of faith. It's a word to follow and to express. Now, the, the Old Testament saints that we just read, read the introduction one of the river, all of, of chapter 11, they live by faith knowing And they looked beyond. They were looking to him. 
as he says in Moses, who was invisible. And to the greater reality to be found in him alone. <clears throat> now we can look to these Old Testament saints, and I have. Anybody ever read like Charles Finney, books on uh, Spurgeon, uh, others, we, John G. Lake, all these other ones we read, and we, what, what happens to us? Whoa! Look what God did through them. It, gets, it encourages us, right? It stirs our hearts. It starts to provoke us. It encourages us. Oh, He can do the same through me. It's not them that did it. It's God who did it through them. And so He stirs them up by saying, remember these, these, these witnesses, what God did through them. But then He takes He says, now let's look to Jesus. See, these, these, these heroes of the faith, whether it's from Hebrews 11 or whether it's these modern-day heroes we have of the faith that we see God working in them, do they have any power to give us, to enable and empower us to live the life of endurance walking with Jesus? They have no power to give us other than a story. That's why he turns to Jesus. Jesus is the one who empowered them. He's the only one who can enable and empower you by the power of His Spirit to live that very life just like them. Yes, be encouraged by them. Look at what God's done. Let that encourage you, but in turn, look to Jesus. He's the only one who can heal. He's the only one who can deliver you. He's the only one who can give you the wisdom. He's the only one who can empower you to live the life of endurance, the life of faith. And finish well. Realize this. How did we get in? Grace. How are we going to make it on? Grace. The way in is grace, the way on is grace. And he's the only one who gives it. He gives it liberally. He doesn't hold back. When he gave the spirit to you and to me, did he say, oh, I'll give you a little bit right now. When you get a little better at this, I'm going to give you more. Is that what he did? Wait a minute, no one knows. No, that's not how he did it. The same spirit that's in Jesus, he poured out on us. And then, see, here's another thing. Those Old Testament saints don't, don't, my wife would just, they would cheat me, correct me for my bad English. Sorry, but they did not have what we have. They were looking for what we have. You get that? Be encouraged with what they did and what God did through them. But the God who raised Jesus from the dead and the Spirit that raised Him from the dead now dwells in who? Us. Us. That's what He says. Yes, look to them. Look to those those saints. Look to those heroes. What God did in them. But now look to Jesus. Do you realize what he's done and what you have in him? That should stir our heart. That's why we look to him. That's why we trust in him. That's why we call out to him. He's the only one who can come to us and empower us to live this life of faith by endurance. Get a little excited here. <laughs> God is so good. Amen. You think he, these Old Testament?
that stinks. And Jesus says that they they long to hear or to see what you hear when he talks to the disciples. And he's telling the parables in chapter, I think, 13 of Matthew. He says, these never before. They long to hear and see what you hear and see. They knew there was more. It'll be read. He says they were looking for it. We don't have the fullness of the age to come yet, but we have it right now in us. We have tasted of the powers of the age to come. When Jesus endured the cross and its shame because of the joy that Jesus saw beyond the cross and its shame, his eyes were fixed on what was beyond the cross. See, he could see the coming joy. He could see the glorification of his Father. He could see the reunion with his Father. He could see his own resurrection. He could see his enthronement and the pouring out of his Holy Spirit on his people. He could see the body of Christ being one. He, he could see the ultimate unification of all things underneath the rulership of Jesus. He could see those things. That's what he, he was looking That's the joy. He saw the fulfillment of all that God purposed through him in the cross. And he could see the ultimate, complete recovery of the created order and all those he loves. That's the joy. He's, he's seeing the Christ. He's seeing the Christ. He looked past it. It enabled him to embrace it and endure it. Because he could see beyond it. Just like Abraham, just like Moses, just like those that have died in faith and walking in the promise, they, they saw beyond. We're called to see beyond. We're a people of faith. Without vision, my people perish, right? We need to have eyes to see beyond today, in this moment. Yes. See, Jesus, his hope and his joy was anchored in God, the Father. And all that God purposed through him on the cross. And that's what shaped how he would respond to life and to death. It empowered him, and it's going to empower us. So we're to consider Jesus. It says looking to him, looking to Jesus and considering him. It says look, uh, look to, uh, excuse me. It says considering Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that we may not grow weary and faint-hearted. So we're not only to look to Jesus. Alone. We're considered him. That word considered means to, to be thoughtful, attentive, remembering, meditating on him, who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, what he's promised, what is to come. He's saying, think, consider those things. And the same joy that Christ saw, we'll see. And we will not grow weary or grow faint-hearted. This, this is another term. These two terms are another thing that was used in a racist. See, these are this growing weary and faint-hearted. When someone would run the race, this long race at the end, they'd cross the finish line and they would collapse. <clears throat> weary, worn out, done. And here he's saying, consider Jesus so you don't do that. Why was he saying that you don't collapse? Because they were still in the middle of the race. You don't collapse in the middle of the race. And he does not want them to. We don't want to, right? I want to finish well. I don't know about you. 
I want to look to Jesus and I've been trying to consider Him all the time. This stirs my heart. This is something that's been in my heart for about a month now. I don't want you to be weary or faint-hearted. I don't want you to collapse before the finish line. I don't want myself, I want to see the church collapse. We're called to look to Jesus. Sometimes this is old school. We look to so many other things. We're called to look to Jesus and be true to Him and Him alone and consider Him. That is how we're going to have His joy, His hope. That's going to secure an endurance for us. It's Him living in us and all that He is, who He is. So this speaks to us, you and me. We're not called to, to faint or grow weary. And we're in the middle of the race. I want to encourage us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Encourage us to consider Him. Find our hope and joy in Him alone. What are, just to challenge all of us, are there weights that are impeding us? Are there things in our life that have distracted us from being solely focused on Jesus? Are there sin or proneness? If so, Jesus is still the same as he was yesterday. Yeah. He says, come to me. Don't try to clean up yourself with by your own power. Come to me. Confess. Be honest. And he forgives. And he cleanses us. And he empowers us to live a whole different life. So I want to encourage you to do that. If that's where you're at. If you're weary and faint-hearted, if that's you today, and you're ready to give up, you feel like giving up, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He's your answer. If you need prayer, we're here to pray for you. We're here to encourage you. We are partners in this race together. Have you lost your joy? Maybe you have to some degree. If you are, look to Jesus. Talk to your brothers and sisters in the Lord. They can point us back to Jesus and help us find joy in Him again. He's the only answer. Grace is the way in. Grace will always be the way.